Good morning. My name is Elaine Miller. The reading of the word is from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Elaine, for reading God's word for us. And as you just heard, uh, today's passage uh, is about parents and children. Parents and children, which I'm really excited about uh, because I don't know if you guys know this or if you've noticed in the few months that you've had to get to know me, but I'm excited about today's passage because I am the perfect parent. Wait a second. <laughs> I wasn't expecting so much laughter after that. Okay, okay. So you, you heard the sarcasm in my voice. Very good. You caught that. No, I'm excited about today's passage because I have the perfect children. Now, I mean, come on. That's hard to deny, right? They look like the perfect children, but the reason why Paul had to pen these words in this letter to the church in Ephesus is that there are no perfect children, And there are no perfect parents, and can I get an amen in the room, right? Amen and amen. The truth is that none of us are perfect, which is why the Apostle Paul, I think, at a fundamental level, included these words. Now, we've been journeying together through the New Testament book of Ephesians, seeking to have it guide us toward a reconstruction of our faith. And in this letter to the church in Ephesus, a major shift has taken place back in chapter 4, verse 1. By and large, the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians are the Apostle Paul's emphasis on who we are as the united spiritual family of God. But then the second three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are the Apostle Paul's emphasis on what we do as the united spiritual family of God. Chapters 1 through 3, who we are. Chapters 4 through 6, what we do or how we live or how we walk in light of who we are. And the thread through all of it is that we are the united spiritual family of God, which hopefully brings some broader clarity to this section of the letter that we're exploring this morning, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. The idea from Paul is that nuclear families, parents who are related to one another by marriage, and children who are related to their parents by way of procreation, obviously nuclear families make up a good portion of the broader spiritual family of God. So how then should nuclear families relate to one another? How should nuclear families relate to one another? That is Paul's driving question in these verses that we're going to unpack this morning. Now hopefully all of that makes sense, but there might be a couple of groups of people in the room that are a little bit, one, confused, or two, concerned. One, confused, or two, concerned. So just briefly, if you are confused, it's probably because you came to church last week or you tuned in online and you heard our friend, Pastor Alex, preach a great sermon on the end of Ephesians 4. And you're sitting here this morning and you're going, wait a second, I can count to six. And I went one, two, three, four, six. What happened, right? So you're a little bit confused about what happened to Ephesians 5. Well, I couldn't wait, right? I'm the perfect parent, so we had to jump ahead. No, 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 that's not what happened. We have a special sermon that's coming up in a few weeks that's going to launch off of one verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, and it's going to be on the importance of honest work. 
That sermon is being preached at four of our five campuses by one person, uh, Matt Rustin, who's one of our friends and a pastor from the nonprofit Made to Flourish. And so in order to accommodate that plan, because we checked, we asked him, and he could not be in four campuses on one Sunday. So in order to accommodate that plan, we had to move him around, which meant that we had to move some of these other sermons around. So today, here at Shawnee, we're covering... Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. The next two Sundays will be as scheduled for us, tackling chapter 5 of the letter to uh, the church in Ephesus. And then on November 6, Matt will be with us to preach on honest work from Ephesians 4.28. You got that? It's okay if you don't. There will not be a test. I like made this plan and I barely can keep track of it, so it's no big deal. But that hopefully helps out the confused people. But I mentioned that there might be a group that upon hearing what today's passage is about and what today's sermon is about, you might be a little bit concerned. Maybe, and I don't know, but maybe there's a group that's a little concerned. And just to say, this week as I was preparing, as I was studying, as I was praying, as I was writing, I did, I promise, I did actively keep in mind the fact that there are a good number, a beautifully good number of people here in our family at the Shawnee campus who are not parents in a nuclear family who are not parents in a nuclear family. And I don't want to assume, but there might be among that wonderful and growing and important group, there might be a touch of concern, if that describes you, wondering if this passage or if this sermon is going to include you or not. And listen, I desperately think that this passage does include you, and we're going to see together, we're going to try to see together how that's true as we walk and we journey through it. But right now I want to ask for God's help because we always need it. So will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your grace that even though there are no perfect parents and perfect children, there is a united spiritual family, and you are the good, good, perfect father that we all desperately need. So no matter who we are, no matter what story we're bringing in, in terms of our own parenting, in terms of our relationship with our parents, whether we're a kid or an adult, God, we need your help as we do each and every Sunday to understand the truth within your word. And so please, Lord, help me diminish as you increase and and bring us together on this journey uh, towards greater understanding of who you are and who we are and what we should do in light of that. In the name of Jesus, our older brother, we pray. Amen. Well, let's start at the end of this passage. I've made a habit out of doing that in this letter to the uh, Ephesians, and I want to do that again. I want to begin with the Apostle Paul's words of instruction in Ephesians 6-4 to the parents. And I'm going to throw that verse up on the screen. I'm going to do it in a couple of different translations because I think the message paraphrase really captures Paul's tone with quite poetic brilliance. So here is Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the message here, I love this. Fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenario. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I cannot get enough of that last clause. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I don't know about you, but I need every inch of that reminder and instruction. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. 
Now, I've got the word fathers highlighted on this screen for a specific reason. I've said, and I really believe, that Ephesians 6.4 applies in parenting to both fathers and mothers, to, to both parents. I think it does this, but I'm glad that both translations have left in the word father as opposed to swapping in parents, because I think it helps us see something important that Paul is seeking to accomplish in this section of the letter. And by this section of the letter, I mean the section of the letter that begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and continues on through this passage into the following passage that ends in Ephesians 6, 9. That passage, if you're looking at it in your Bibles, it is kind of probably grouped together, and it probably doesn't have this word, but the literary form that this passage is, Ephesians 5, 22 through Ephesians 6, 9, it's called a household code a household code. And this was a literary form that was incredibly familiar in Paul's cultural moment. And what I want to make sure that we see this morning is that when Paul uses this household code literary form, he actually uses it in a uniquely subversive way. A subversive way. He actually flips it upside down. So he knew that his original readers would have been familiar with a household code form. And so he says, okay, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to use it. This will be familiar to them. But then he radically flips it upside down. So they're familiar with their form, but they are confronted by what Paul actually says. And the way at a core level that they are confronted by what Paul says is that he reminds them that it is God who is actually the one in control. God's in control, and listen to this, not the father of the household. God's in control, not the father of the household. Now, we're sitting in a church in Shawnee, Kansas in 2022 that probably does not sound radically subversive, but I promise you it was. We have to remember how intensely patriarchal Paul's cultural moment was. <coughs> Excuse me. Church, listen. Everything in that moment, and I have some water for this exact scenario. How about we do that? <coughs> Thank you. Listen, in that moment, everything started and stopped with the patriarch of the household. Everything. Such that in typical other household codes of the day, the entire purpose of the instruction was for the continued and ultimate control and comfort of the patriarch. Author and scholar Timothy Gombas helps us here, and we can throw that up on the screen. You guys can start reading while I take another drink. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully that's better. Okay. <clears throat> the council is directed, this is about other <clears throat> household codes. The council is directed toward the well-ordered household with a view to how the patriarch would maintain control over every other member of the community. The Apostle Paul's instruction, therefore, and here's the phrase that I used, right, is radically subversive. Where there are hierarchical relationships, Paul addresses the subordinate members first, giving them unprecedented dignity. They are full and equal participants in the people of God. In contemporary visions of ancient society, these members are not even addressed directly. They appear only as objects of control by the patriarch. Listen to this. But among God's new people, there is no place for control, domination, manipulation, or exploitation. Rather, mutual respect and service 
is to be the norm. Radically subversive. Let me throw Ephesians 6, 4 back on the screen. Fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. (coughs) Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. It reads a little different with this broader context, right? On the face of it to us, it doesn't sound radically subversive, but I promise you, Paul was doing something radically subversive. God's in control, not you, dads. God's in control, not you, which means your charge is to humbly serve and sacrifice. And here's how I would summarize this verse for our moment here and for us today. And and this now, I think, is to both parents. So I think Paul's done something important in how he's structured his household code, but let's bring it here today to both the moms and the dads in the room. Here it is. As a parent, your most important task is to lead your children in the way of Jesus. As a parent, Your fundamental, most important core task is to lead your children in the way of Jesus. You see where I'm getting this from Ephesians 6, 4, right? Take them by the hand and do what with them? Lead them in the way of the capital M, Master. As a parent, your most important task is to lead your children in the way of Jesus. Which sounds so good, right? Like wrap it up, sermon over, let's all go do it. But it leads to this huge question. How? Okay, cool. Like, how do I do this? I, I, I'm asking that question. Like, does anybody know? <laughs> right? Like, how, how do we do this? Because Paul, like, read Ephesians 6, 5. He moves on. Right? He goes in a different direction in Ephesians 6, 5. So it leaves us with this huge question. It's why I'm so grateful that any time we're drilling down into one verse or one small passage like this, we don't just have that one verse or that one small passage, we still have the whole of the Bible. We still have the whole counsel of God from Genesis 1-1 from Re- to Revelation 22-21. And we have to keep in mind that when Paul penned these words, Ephesians chapter 6, he also already had the entirety of the Old Testament. And I just can't help but wonder. I just can't help but wonder if he didn't have Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6 on his mind as he penned these words. I mean, he directly quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 in verses 2 and 3 of this passage when he's addressing the children. So I actually think it's kind of obvious to me that he had these chapters from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy on his mind, or at least Deuteronomy chapter 5. But please, together with me now, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9. And I think what we'll notice is that the parallels between these passages, even though they are years apart, right? From when Deuteronomy was penned by Moses to when Ephesians was penned by the Apostle Paul, they're far apart, but I think the parallels and the connectedness between these two passages are undeniable. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, it's known as the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for hear, and it's how this passage starts. I'm going to use the message, and the message says, attention, right? But, But other translations will say, hear, O Israel, hear, like listen up, pay attention, this is important. And the Shema, was, it, was, it was an early kind of almost creed. This was repeated and memorized and, and said over and over and over again. It's fun, fundamentally important in the, in the moment when it was delivered for God's people then, the nation of Israel. And it remains a foundational text for us today, God's people in his united spiritual family, the church. So let's see what it says. Attention, Israel, God our God, God the one and only. God's in control. Nobody else. God, the one and the only. Love God 
your God with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got, verses 6 through 9. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Do I have to do surgery to do that? How do I do that, right? Like, get them inside you. Get them inside of you and get them inside of your children. Notice that. We'll come back. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Put them everywhere so that you can't miss them, so that you bump into them at every moment of every day, right? Like, immerse yourself in these commands. And I think we can actually a little bit, we got to be careful, we can get thrown off by that word commands, Like, you might be sitting here and going, man, I don't know, commandment sounds like rules to me, and I thought following Jesus was about a relationship, and it is, it is. We have to remind ourselves, and we have to remember what Moses, and then the New Testament as well, what's going on when you hear this word commands? Moses, in his moment in Deuteronomy, is referencing the whole of God's law, which was as God's good design to his people for them to live holy and set apart lives that were, and this is the key phrase, the law was for the purpose of their good and God's glory. Their good and God's glory. So really Moses is saying something like this, write the way of God on your heart. Write the way of God on your heart. Put it inside you so deeply that it can't ever be removed. Weave it into every inch of who you are so that when you're pressed, the way of God flows out of you. And notice the sentence that I highlighted. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Well, that sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, 4, doesn't it? But stay, stay here with me in Deuteronomy and let's slow down for a moment because we have to notice the progression of this verse. The progression of the, yes, there is a clear call and command to parents for how they ought to interact with their kids. It's right there. Get the commands of God, get the way of God inside of your children. Or as Paul puts it, lead your children in the way of the master. But who needs the commands first? Who needs the way of God inside them before we can take our children and lead them in the way of the master? What is the progression? You see it with me, right? It's as plain as day on the screen. We, as the parents, need the way of God first. So here it is. If you want to lead your children in the way of Jesus, then make sure you're following him first. If you want to lead your children in the way of Jesus, then make sure that you're following him first. I do want to take my child by the hand and lead him in the way of the master. Okay, then I need to make sure that I'm following him first. And here's some honesty from my own parenting life. You know, when I look back over it, and when I'm honest with myself and now honest with you about my worst parenting moments, the consistent truthful thread is that in those moments, I was not acting in accordance with the way of Jesus. Like the times when I've lost my temper and yelled at my kids. Or when I've been distracted on my phone and totally missed something that they said to me about their day at school. Or when I've been selfish and refused to sacrifice my own desires for their good. 
or on and on and on, right? Like the worst moments of my parenting are playing in my head right now, and they look nothing like Jesus. Jesus, who was humble and gentle in heart. A Jesus who was never distracted, but was always a non-anxious presence with whoever he was with, always having time, never in a rush or a hurry. A Jesus who is so unselfish that he gave up the trappings of heaven to come to earth and sacrifice to the point of death for me and for you and for my kids too. When I look at my own worst parenting moments, the consistent truthful thread is that those were the times when I was not walking and journeying in the way of Jesus. And maybe that's true for you too. So friends, if you want to lead your children in the way of Jesus, make sure you're following him first. And here is how we can weave everybody together as well. Whether you have kids in your nuclear family or not, whether you are a biological parent or you've adopted kids or, or whether you have stayed single and you don't have any kids or whether your kids are grown up and out of the home, here's how we can weave all of this together, right? How, how, how can I grow in my following of Jesus? Here's the truth. I can't do that alone. If I'm going to grow in my following and my walking in the way of Jesus, I need you and you and you and you, whether or not you have kids. Like, this is not a solo sport. This is a team sport, and we all only grow more and more into the way of following Jesus if we do it together. So no matter what your story is related to a nuclear family, I need you. And, and indirectly, then, my kids need you because as you help me and I help you follow Jesus more and more, then my kids benefit from that. Do you see? But here's the other thing. Even more directly than that, Ashley and I, we are called, right, to lead our children very directly in Ephesians 6, 4, to, to lead our children by the hand, to take them by the hand and lead them in the way of Jesus. But should we be the only adults who are doing that? No! Here's the truth. Whether you've got kids in your nuclear family or not, my kids need you. Bevan, Owen, and Ethan need you, no matter what your story is. And if you do have kids in your nuclear family, guess what? My kids still need you, and your kids need me, and it's not because I'm the pastor. It's because I'm another adult who's seeking to follow Jesus. Like, our kids need, do you see this? Our kids need us. This is the concept of spiritual parenting. And it's something that Paul teaches really directly in another letter uh, to someone that really was his spiritual son, Timothy. Go ahead, look at 1 Timothy 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. We won't read them here, but if you do read them, you will see, oh, that's spiritual parenting. I can do that no matter, no matter whether I have kids in my home or not. Spiritual parenting. It's why we asked the whole of our church family to make vows during our child dedication moment last month in service. Do you remember doing that? Uh, here they are again. And in fact, let's just commit to these vows once more. It's that important. Follow along with me as I read. Even as Jesus himself gladly receives children, made time for them and blessed them. Church, do you also receive these children into the care of our congregation? And do you pledge to come alongside these families, all of our families, as partners in the gospel as they strive to keep these solemn vows. That's spiritual parenting. That is how, 
We need each other. My kids need you and your kids need me. So here it is one more time. If we're going to lead, hear this, our children in the way of Jesus, then we all need to be following him first, and I better get an amen in the house. If we want to lead our children in the way of Jesus, then we all need to be following him first. And yeah, sure, we could talk, we should talk specifics, right? Like, that's where my mind goes right now is, okay, like, really specifically, how do we get into that? But there's, there's three more verses in this passage that we haven't even touched yet, right? The children thought they were going to skate by here, okay? But let's get into Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Or I think the message paraphrases that, that you may have a good life on this earth which is, I think, a good summary summary of that clause. Another key idea for us and for the kids this morning, here it is. As a child, it is right for you to follow your parents as they follow Jesus. As a child, it is right for you to follow your parents as they follow Jesus. Now, this is true, right? It, it, there's, it's like pretty strong. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And the parents, this is why I started with the parents, because we want to run to Ephesians 6.1, and we want to go there first and kind of lay hard on that. And it does not ever benefit us to bend the Word of God in a direction that it does not go. So it's important for us to sit fully in the reality of this, that God's Word clearly teaches here and in other places that children, it is good for you to obey your parents. We should never bend the Word of God in a direction that it doesn't go. And that's why there's this clause, right? For it is right. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And it's why I chose that word for our phrase here. As a child, it is right for you to follow your parents as they follow Jesus. And there was that other clause, right? Obey your parents in the Lord. Like Paul grounds this in Jesus, just like he ultimately grounds Ephesians 6, 4 in Jesus as well, because that's what he's doing with the household code, is he's flipping it upside down as he is platforming the supremacy of Christ over all of us, parents and children. And so really, I think what Paul is getting at, yes, absolutely, obey your parents, children, obey your parents, this is right. Well, what does that look like? Okay, well, it is right for you to follow your parents as they follow Jesus. And this is something, this idea is something that Paul says over and over and over again. It's, I think, one of his most brilliant ideas. And it comes through most clearly in a different letter to a different church, the church of Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11:1, 1, the apostle Paul says, I love this, imitate me. And you're like, man, that guy's kind of got a pride problem. Imitate me, and he would have a pride problem if he stopped there. Imitate me, how does it end? As I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Why? Well, how do you follow Jesus? Well, it kind of looks different for each of us, doesn't it? But you may, I pray that you know some people who have been seeking to follow Jesus a little longer than you have, and maybe even more faithfully walking in the way of the master. So what do you do? You go to them and you say, hey, can you help me follow Jesus? And then you follow them as they follow Jesus. And then what will you find yourself doing? Following Jesus. And then someone comes behind you and says, hey, 
I see that you're following Jesus. I just started following Jesus. Can you help? Can I follow you as you follow Jesus? Do you see? And, and the design, and I know it doesn't always work out this way, but the design for kiddos is that your parents are two of the main people that you can say, hey, I see that you're following Jesus. Can I follow you as you follow Jesus? It's a brilliant design. It's trickle-down leadership that all starts with Jesus. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And this is what Paul's getting at, right? And we shouldn't miss this as well. Kids, I want to make sure you hear this. Don't miss the payoff that he points out in these verses. So let's look at them one more time. The, the bolded section, honor your father and mother. This is Deuteronomy, this is quoting the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Anything in quotes. In the parentheses, this is Paul with a kind of a, an aside, a reminder. Honor your father and mother. Hey, don't forget, this is the first commandment with a promise. What's that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here, okay, there's, there is prescription there's a command to kids, obey your parents, but there is a payoff as well. Other, I could say it this way, children, there is a benefit to your obedience. There is a benefit to your obedience. Or I might say it this way, I think that it is right, kids, for you to obey your parents. I also think it's good for you. I think it's right, but I also think it is good for you. I believe that your life, children, will be better if you follow your parents as they follow Jesus. And I know for the kids, right, there's important questions to ask and try to answer. Like, what if my parents don't follow Jesus? What do I do then? What do I do if my parents don't follow Jesus? Or what if my parents command me to do something that would cause me to be disobedient to God? Those are important, thoughtful questions, and I've, I've had kids ask me them over the years. Remember, I got my background starting in student ministries. I've had kids, those, those questions are best answered probably in a, in a follow-up conversation, but quickly, I would say that God has placed you as a child in your family for a reason. It is not an accident. And yes, you are ultimately always supposed to obey God, so if your parents are commanding you to do something contrary to God's commands. Again, it is always best to obey God, but I actually don't think that really happens all that much. Of course, it does happen. I'm not saying that it, it's an impossibility. But yes, for all of us in the room, who is it best to obey at all times and all ways? God. And the design, right, is then that the parents follow Jesus and so that the ways in which they command their children would be always in accordance with what God commands. But there's a breakdown there, right? Or we do that imperfectly as parents. But children, the design is that you get to follow your parents as they follow God, as they follow Jesus, right? And if you do that, kids, if you follow your parents as they follow Jesus, again, congratulations. You know what you're doing? You are following Jesus. And that is what all of this comes back to for all of it. And that's like my big idea. What was the big idea of Paul's sermon today? Ah, we should probably all follow Jesus. Boy, I'm not breaking any new ground there, right? That's hopefully okay, because I need the reminder. Do you need it? No matter who you are in the room this morning, whether you're a parent of young children, 
whether you are a parent of adult children, that's hard. It's challenging, right? I'm still their mom and dad, but they're, they're grown up now. They're not in the house anymore. What do I do with that? Whether you're an adult without kids in your nuclear family, whether you are a young child in the room right now, whether you are a teenage child in the room right now, whether you are an adult child in the room right now, which describes the vast majority of us. And have you ever thought about that the command in the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother, did you check this, doesn't have an expiration date? So how are we doing that as adult children? I, I need to call my mom more. I'm dead serious. That's the way I need to honor her. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so, but all of this, no matter who you are, no matter what your story is related to your kids or your parents or your parenting, no matter what your story is, all of this comes back to the idea of following Jesus. And I spend a lot of time thinking about the Apostle James. Uh, the, he penned the letter that we have in the New Testament, James, solid name for the book. You kind of know who wrote it. And I think about it because that, that book, it's a challenging book, and it pierces me in some important ways. Do you know why else I think about the Apostle James a lot? He was the nuclear biological half-brother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph had other kids, grew up in the same household. Imagine that. Your older brother is literally Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that, right? And the, 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 the Gospel of John in chapter 7, it definitively tells us we know that in his earthly ministry, Jesus' brothers rejected him, which makes a ton of sense. I have one sister, Annie, who I love dearly. If I started going around telling people that I was the Savior of the world, I would want her to reject that message as well, right? Like, it makes sense that the brothers that he grew up with in his household during his earthly ministry, it makes sense that they would question that, that they would be like, you got to prove that to me, man, right? And then what did he do? He defeated death and rose from the grave. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus, he appeared then to James. And it seems like when you die on a cross and go into a grave and then walk out again, that's pretty good evidence that you are the Son of God. And it seems like that is where James's unbelief came to a screeching halt. In fact, he so fundamentally changed his life and began to follow Jesus, his biological half-brother, but he began to follow him as his risen Savior and Lord who is in charge of his life that he became, it seems, one of the most important early leaders in the church. That transformation is incredible to me. So even for James, who grew up in the household and the biological family of Jesus, what is it about for him? Following Jesus. It's about that for James, it's about that for me, and it's about that for you, and it's about that for your kids and for all of us. The life that we long for, the life that we, we want to live, the parents that we want to be, the adult children that we want to be to honor our Father, all of it, all of it, all of it, where is it found? In following Jesus. May we do that more and more. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thanks for the example of James. That helps me and encourages me and it challenges me because I have so far to go in my own following of your son Jesus. Thank you for the help that I receive from this family here at the Shawnee campus 
of Christ community. Thank you for how this church loves my kids and loves Ashley and I's kids. And Lord, may we, Ashley and I, our family, may we be loving the kids of this church. None of us can do this perfectly. None of us do do this perfectly. We need your grace and mercy and forgiveness and your restoration. And all of that is found in Jesus. So thank you for him, our true older brother, who created a pathway for us to get back into the family. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Well, we're about to transition into our time of preparing to come to our older brother's table, Jesus's table for communion. And as we do that, we're going to anchor ourselves as we have been uh, regularly throughout this series in the resource of the New City Catechism. New City Catechism has helped us as we've sought to, it's been another guide for us as we've been on this reconstructing faith journey. Uh, But before we do that, I actually want to share a brief story from the life of our family, the Brandis family, that I think uh, really... uh, beautifully illustrates the power of catechism. So catechism, just again as a reminder, it's a fancy word, fancy church word that's actually really simple. Catechism is a question and answer system that's designed to teach us the fundamental truths about God. And so just to provide a little window into the life of the Brandis family, uh, Ashley developed a simple four-question catechism for the drive-to and drop-off at school each and every morning. And there's only one answer, four questions, one answer. The answer is God. And the questions are, who created you? Who loves you most of all? Who is always kind to you? And who will never leave you? Who created you? Who loves you most of all? Who is always kind to you? And who will never leave you? And the answer to all of those is God, right? And that's been really sweet. I get to do drop-off a couple mornings a week, and so Ashley and I have traded off asking Bevan and Owen those questions as kind of our final moment as they depart out the door. And a couple weeks ago, I was sitting down with Ethan, who's not even two, 22 months, sitting down to do the thing that the parents do with the diaper. And I've got Ethan in his bedroom in front of me, and I think, man, I love that catechism. It'd be a pretty good thing to start dripping that in for Ethan. And I just launched into it without thinking much, and I said, Ethan, who created you? And without missing a beat, he smiled at me and said, God. Because most days, he's in the car. And He was smiling, catch this, he was smiling not because he understands the beautiful depth of the fact that God created him. He's not even two. I I don't understand the beautiful depth of what it means that God created me. My two-year-old certainly doesn't. Why was he smiling? Because he understands that these questions and these answers are something that we do in our family. It is a confession that we make together in our community, and it brought his heart joy that he could join in. That is the power of catechism. It's something that we confess together as a family and as a community. And here's the other thing, right? He's got that now. He's got it down. We can now infuse meaning and understanding and instruction into that as he grows up. Who created you, who loves you most of all, who is always kind to you, and who will never leave you. God. So that's why we do this. That's why we do this. So with that in mind, let us stand together if we are able and if you choose to confess together the truth of the first half of the Ten Commandments. We've intentionally selected these questions because this will take us up to command number five in the Ten Commandments, which will remind us of the need for all of us to honor our fathers and our mothers. And so I'll act as leader, and then if you choose to confess, please follow along. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know God as the only true God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry. 
Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence. What does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? Fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in worship of God. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and our mother. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to come now to our older brother's table, to Jesus' table. And we, we've got four communion stations in the room, two in the back and two in the front. The two